If you're excited to be in church, can I hear an amen? Come on, can I get a hallelujah? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you are here. Tell somebody, slap them high five. Yes, yes, amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. The church is growing. I'm glad you guys all are here today. I got so many good things I want to talk to you about, but I want to encourage you to keep reading the book of Ephesians. We are now going to finish up the last verse of chapter 1, and we're going to move on to chapter 2. Can I get an amen for that? So you have made it through an entire chapter of the Bible through February. What comes after February? Oh, thank you. February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, and a wee bit of October. Eight months to go through one chapter. And let me just say this. Chapters 2, 3, and 4 are going to be a lot more practical, so they won't be as deep as these have been. But this is going to be the grand finale of deep. So open up your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, as we learn about Jesus filling everything through the church. Paul here is praying. It's a letter, an epistle written by an apostle to the people of Ephesus. This is his prayer in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So his first part of the prayer is thanksgiving for the church. How many are happy for the church today? Amen. I'm happy for every nation, tribe that is here, every young person, every old person, everybody in between. I'm happy for the skinny minis, for the not so skinny minis, for the healthy. I'm happy for the male, the female. I'm happy for those that have have a lot, those that don't have too much, and those who are somewhere in between. I'm just thankful for the church today. Can I hear an amen? The church is made up of a variety of people, and I give thanks for you, and I hope that you give thanks for us as the leadership. Verse 17, I keep asking. Somebody say he keeps asking. So these are the things we should never stop asking God for either, and that is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So the big uh, thing of Paul's prayer right here is that we may know him better. There is another prayer of Paul that we will get to in the, in the next chapters, and that is that we would know the love of God more. And so you could summarize it like this, know God and love him. But as we get to know him, we have to have the Holy Spirit's guidance to have wisdom, which is the practical application of knowledge, and to have revelation, to have our eyes turned on in our hearts so we can see the things of God. This is very important because now in verse 18 and onward, he says what he's praying we will know about God. So he says, I'm praying that you'll know God better by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here's what he's praying, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Everybody say, know the hope. Thank you to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Everybody say, glorious inheritance. 
Thank you in his holy people, in the saints, which we are as the body of Christ. In verse 19, and his incomparably great power. Somebody say great power. Thank you for us who believe this is the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So here are the three things that Paul is praying for. So he says, I'm giving thanks for you. I'm always happy to have you in my life. But this is what I'm praying, that you get to know God better by the spirit of wisdom and revelation. When you get to know him better, your eyes, the spiritual eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Remember we said, no, silly Buddha, you don't get enlightenment. That belongs to Jesus, right? Silly Brad Pitt, you don't need to go to a guru. Go to Jesus and be enlightened, amen? And how many are happy today? You don't have to wear yoga pants and eat a vegan diet to be enlightened. Can I get an amen? Okay, come on, men. Let me get a little woo-woo. All right, we are meat eaters that are enlightened But what are we enlightened to? We're enlightened to knowing God better through Jesus Christ. But how does that work out into our everyday lives? What's these three things? We're enlightened to hope. So we're not walking in this world hopeless. That's a big key. you got to connect it to your everyday life. When people see Vegas, the tremendous, uh, horrific, just absolutely horrifying scene of Vegas, people become hopeless. Not a Christian. Because we have hope in Jesus Christ. Our hope is beyond the scope of human limitation. We weep with the broken. We feel the pain with them. We, we, uh, the Bible says mourn with those who mourn. We empathize with them. We're compassionate, but we're not hopeless. Because we know that this world is not our home. We know there is still a lowercase g God, ruler, Satan of this world, and he knows his time is short and he is operating in terror so that our hearts will grow faint and no longer trust our God. He knows his time is short. So we don't fall for his tricks. We see the terror of this world and we give glory to our God that he saved us from this world. Amen. And here's the thing about God is he's a just God. So after that man took him his life, he's in hell right now. So he doesn't win. Hitler doesn't win. They lose in the end, and they'll be there a lot longer than the people suffered when they shot them. Do you understand? As painful as it was to be shot, as much as that person suffered, if they know Jesus, they're in heaven for all of eternity. But whatever, whatever things that guy, that psychotic man got out of killing people, that momentary pleasure in his psychotic behavior is now gone. And now that he is in hell, he is begging to get out, and he will not get out for all of eternity. There is justice. Somebody say there's justice. But not only for that, for the children who have lost their parents or lost their uh, wives who have lost their husbands and vice versa and and, and parents who lost their daughters and, and, and sons and the loss of your family, that pain may be on for 80 years. They may live the rest of their life with, with the pain of missing that loved one. But listen, they remain faithful to Jesus Christ. They will see that loved one in heaven. They have a hope beyond the scope of human pain and human limitation. Can I get an Amen. So then number two, we have an inheritance, and that means there's a kingdom to come. We should be storing up treasures up there so that they can come down here and be with us for eternity. We're in heaven until the time of the judgment. When the judgment comes, we come with Jesus to rule and reign upon this earth. That's where we see our rewards. How many want to be rewarded on judgment day? Amen. And then the last thing, there's great power. 
That great power is an energy that comes through you to motivate you to do the things of God. Just like when you go to the job, you may have a bad day. You may be motivated to keep working because you know you're going to get paid. That becomes somewhat of a power and energy to you. Some of you need a whole lot of coffee on top of that. Any caffeine people here today? Now, you know, if you, oh, if you don't know, let me just tell you, I don't drink caffeine. Because you, you imagine me on caffeine. That would be like, oh, Lord, help him. Pray for him. I don't even need caffeine. I came caffeinated out the womb. Amen. But let me just tell you this. That's the way a lot of you look at power. And that's great because that's part of God's natural order uh, for you to be motivated by your, your, your paycheck and these things. But there's a greater power. There's the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that will motivate you for love. Love your fellow man to see what you're doing on your job for your fellow man. A power to endure suffering when people persecute you, put you down. A power to go through trials because even in your job, you're going to go through difficulties. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to buy your product or want what you have. And so what the Holy Spirit does is gives us the power to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And he shows us that what we do temporarily has eternal benefits when we put Christ at the center. So the Bible says whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Then there's a partnership and the Holy Ghost power flows through you. Somebody say, I got the power. Amen. And that's the same power that weighs Christ from the dead. And not only that, but it touches our ministerial lives. And all of us are called to be ministers, disciples making disciples, power to speak in new tongues, cast out devils, lay our hands upon the sick, and change this world from every street corner. Amen. Changing the world from every community, inside every home. And by doing that, we can keep, uh, we can keep our politicians accountable. We can change the way business is done if people become disciples. How many believe Jesus is the answer through the church? of Jesus Christ for every problem we face. Thank you. And then verse 21, or rather in verse 20, he exerted this power when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's where Jesus is now, waiting to come back to rule and reign, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name. Somebody say every name. Thank you. His name, Jesus, is the name Jesus is above every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Everybody say there's an age to come. Now, this is where we get deep, and like I said, it's the last part of chapter 1. It's the last part of Paul's prayer, and this is where we got tied all together. Let's just hear his prayer. He says, I'm thankful for you, and I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you can have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know your hope, to know your inheritance, to know power, because we get that power from Jesus, who is now raised from the dead at the right hand of the Father, and here's the deal. He's coming back one day to rule and reign as a king. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. How many things is he the head over? Everything. Thank you. Now, verse 23 is our verse today. Let's read together. One, two, three. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I want you to notice the conclusion to Paul's prayer here. He's giving glory to God. And he says, Jesus has a body. Point to where Jesus' body is right now. It's us, the body of Christ, the church. Now watch this. Christ has a body, and that body is going to be very important in the age to come because that body is the fullness of him. The fullness of Jesus is seen in the church now partially, but will be entirely when he comes back, and he will fill everything in every way through that body, through the church. That's a deep thought, isn't it? Now, some of y'all don't know how deep that really is. 
So I've got some pictures and some grass for you today. But before we get into it, I want to prepare you. It's going to be theological. That means we're going to study the things of God. You've got to put on your thinking cap because this actually touches on everything. When the Bible says everything, it literally means everything. So if Christ is over everything now and is filling everything through the church and then one day we'll make that visibly known, we need to tie that into everything we're doing now. From the chair you're sitting on to the job you work to the marriage and family you have to all your hopes and dreams, is that a part of everything? So we better let God fill everything right now because it's going to get filled one way or another. And you can think of it like this. Whatever he's filling on Judgment Day that isn't already filled or whatever he's coming to fill on Judgment Day rather that isn't filled with him or open to him is actually getting pushed out like a river. And where are those junk, where is that junk going? That's going to hell. So if you're not letting Christ fill you now, when he comes upon this earth to flow with his power, you get pushed out of his presence right to the lake of fire. So you must become that vessel of filling today. Somebody say, I'm ready. Amen. Here are all the nine things we've learned about in Paul's prayer. Start reading chapter 2 as we learn about being saved by grace. That will be starting next week. I want to introduce you to a, the, um, a theological term called panentheism. Everybody say panentheism. This is a theological term given to us by the Greek fathers. This was a term that they helped develop. Now, theological terms like the word Trinity aren't found in the Bible, but they're, they're kind of like what you would call a holding place for our theological beliefs. So think about uh, you go to get some coffee and you put it on top of a, uh, a coaster. These are like the coasters of our beliefs of the Bible. The coaster isn't what's most important. It's what it's holding. Or if a, you think of a coat rack, it's, it's, it's a rack that holds the coat. And it's important to have that so that your coat doesn't hit the floor and, and you put it on there. But the rack isn't the most important thing. It's the coat. Our words and the words that came from the church fathers, like the word Trinity, three and one, aren't the most important thing. The most important thing is the concept of what the Trinity is. One God revealed in three persons. The name of the Father, singular name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And this word is likewise important to us because it helps us understand the entire universe and how God made it. You ready for some deep stuff right here? Okay, panentheism is the belief that God pervades and interpenetrates every part of the universe and also extends beyond matter and space-time. Let me help explain that to you by giving you diverse opinions on what the universe is today by different worldviews. Atheism, these are all Greek words, basically, a uh, meaning no and then theism God. Atheism, no God, believes there's only the universe. That's how they see all that we have here today. It's just the universe, matter, space, and time. They can't tell you where it came from. They can't tell you why it's organized. And they can't tell you why you're here. But they'll basically say, let us just move past all of that. So give us that as a miracle and then we'll explain everything else in life. And so really they act as know-it-alls, but they don't know anything at all. Okay. The next belief system is pantheism. Now, this is not to be confused with panentheism because there's a key concept that's missing between these two words. As you can see, en. En in the Greek actually just means in, like in. And the reason why that's different is because pantheism basically says all is God. 
This would be most of your Hindu religion, uh, belief systems in Hinduism and Buddhism. And so God equals the universe. Once again, that's incorrect because we are personal and the universe is impersonal. So now there's a difference between us and this chair, uh, this table right here. And I remember talking to a man in India, and I said, what do you think about God? And he said, you're God, I'm God. And he literally picked up the fork, and he said, this is God. And then what I wanted to say is, you're a fool, he's a fool, and everybody here's a fool that believes that. Because that is not how it works. The fork is not even a personal object. It is an object of matter. We recognize the difference. So the, so the moment you say that we are the same as this chair, uh, as this table, let me call it a pulpit. Can I call it a pulpit? As a pulpit, you have already got into nonsense. That's just nonsense. You can say you're a drop of water in the ocean and everything is the ocean, but that's nonsense because you are a person and from persons we get information. And does the universe have information? Didn't just come from anywhere. It has information. You ever heard of DNA? You ever heard of the, uh, the consistent laws of nature, like the laws of gravity? Those are, that's information, the constants of the universe. And so we know as persons we're different than the universe, so that's already a distinction. It all can't be the same. And then if all of these things we see as persons are in our lives, like information, feelings, and all of that, and causality is another big thing, then we would know the universe couldn't bootstrap, start itself. It couldn't be intelligent and non-intelligent at the same time. It couldn't be personal and non-personal at the same time. That yin and yang is just a contradiction of folly. Don't believe it. I got one amen here. The next belief system, like Albert Einstein and of others in science, they try to take the safe route is deism, and that just means the absent God. God somewhere out there, whoever he is, we don't know. Certainly he's not found in any religion because they all seem to contradict themselves. But somewhere out there, God created us like a bowler throwing the bowling ball down the, uh, the alley there. He just threw out the universe and just let, let it be. And whatever happens at the end, we'll find out. Now, that is not true because Jesus told us he knew God. He said that he had been with God, and when he died and rose again, he proved that's what he was, was the Son of God, and we watched him, the disciples did, rise back up to heaven. And as a matter of fact, here, we would even use the comparative religion against them. They say we have all of these differences, but it's really the things we have in common that point to the origin of one race, the human race, being taught the things and then making deviations such as sacrifices, and then obviously the Aztecs taking it too far and killing 10,000 at one time, ripping out their hearts and all of that, but they had a sense of sacrifice. They had a sense of morality. They had a sense of justice. Now, where would those come from? If you have a copy of a dollar bill, what does that automatically tell you? There has to exist an original dollar bill. The counterfeits don't discount the original. They just show you that there must be an original, and you need to seek it out. And C.S. Lewis converting from deism and atheism talks about this was what one of the main reasons because he was a student of myth. He wrote the line, which in the wardrobe, his friend was J.R.R. Tolkien of the Lord of the Rings, and they would discuss myth all the time, and he wanted to know the origin of the myth, and he said the origin of the myth comes from truth, which is Christianity in the Bible. So think about that. There are two views that you can have as a Christian. Now, one is dualism and one is pantheism. Dualism is the visiting God. And this is what many of you may think, and that's okay. And I, I'm not here to try to convince you otherwise. But I do want to tell you what I believe, and I think it fits best in with the Scriptures. Dualism is the idea that God created the universe separate from himself, and then he visits the universe at different times. You know, he'll speak to the prophets. He'll come with his presence in the temple. And this has been, in the last, say, 50 years, more popular 
popular in American churches, and it's because the more we've learned about science, we feel like that this explains the world more, like there's the natural world and then there's the spiritual world. But what I like to encourage you with is panentheism all in God because this is what the early church fathers actually believed. They knew that God was distinct from the universe. It wasn't pantheism. God is not the universe, but that the universe actually comes from God and is sustained by God and is actually in God. Can I give you some scriptures to help you see the word in and in correlation to the universe? That's why I don't accept dualism because of the scripture pointing to panentheism. We'll learn further on in Ephesians 4, 6, this passage. One God and Father over, uh, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and what? In all. Now, some may just restrict that to the church, but you know in other passages, the Bible says every human family derives its name from the Father. So I believe when it says in all, it literally means all there, not just the church. Romans eleven thirty six gives us the clarification that in would literally mean in everything. Talking about Jesus, it says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So where does everything come from? It comes from Jesus. But it not only comes from Jesus, it's coming in the present through Jesus. So literally, he's sustaining, as it says in Colossians, everything we know right now. Now, what is great about technology is that it always proves the things of God. Now, the scientists may not know what they're doing. They can be foolish as well, but their truth will never disprove our Bible because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As we have gotten down in what they now call quantum physics, we have seen what we could actually say is the thumbprint of God. This is not the God of the gaps, which people used to accuse us as Christians of doing, which is saying, I don't know how the moon moves, but God does it. See, there's a gap that science can't fill. We'll just put God there, God of the gaps. And then one day, which by the way, a Christian discovered gravity, Sir Isaac Newton, the atheist goes, ah, see, it wasn't God moving the moon. It was the laws of gravity. But see, Sir Isaac Newton says, but who came up with the laws of gravity? Okay, so we're not giving a simplistic answer by just saying God did it. So don't go do science today. Just put God did it on your, your answer or in the lab. God did it. God did it. God did it. God did it. We're all done. God did it. That's not what we're saying. As a matter of fact, the scientific revolution came from Christians because we want to know how God did it. Because we know if God did it, there's an order to it, and the more we learn about, the more we'll learn about that order, and it'll be good for our flourishing on the earth. So here's what we have to understand, is that what we're learning in quantum physics is the great mystery of how these quarks and how these things move. They move in an order, in a pattern, and we can't go to a deeper level. We can't go beyond this, and maybe they will one day, but I don't think they'll still be able to see the actual written code. What they're now beginning to theorize is that there is information controlling at the quantum level things that organize our world, and it's just there by default without explanation, very similar to DNA. You can say, I can trace DNA back through the different uh, genes and so forth, but at some point, what is telling those amino acids to do what they're doing? You're just left with a question mark, and the, the Christian says, I know how to answer that. God did it. Now, that is a scientific answer because when we understand that God did it, we can understand why there's order, and then we can 
go with our microscopes and help understand the world better as well as our telescopes. And like I said, if there's a deeper order than the quantum level, which right now all the best minds are saying there is no deeper order, this is the foundation of all existence, we now know we see the mind of God. And that is out of one of the atheist mouth. We now see the mind of God because it's based on mathematical principles that have no origin in natural world. It must have came from another world and hit the enter button and said, this is how it will work. Just like a computer program working on binary code of zeros and ones, zeros and ones, and that's what makes things work in that world, we see that there is an underlying nature, an underlying principle that can't come from nature itself, meaning you can't, the, the computer can't create itself. Does everybody get that? And from nothing, nothing comes. Now look at Acts 17, 28. One more time, understanding the in him. This is Paul actually using one of the Greek philosophers of his day, using him and pointing it back towards God when he was preaching there on Mars Hill, Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. For what? In him. Everybody say, in him. Thank you. So here are some thoughts that I want you to have today. And trust me, it will get practical in just a moment. But we have to go deep one more time. Somebody say, bring it on. Here's some helpful thoughts that I think will encourage you. As the rays of the sun, and this is what the Greek fathers used to use to describe our universe coming from God. As the rays of the sun are separate from the sun itself, yet they exist as emanations from the sun, so the universe and all that is in it is separate from God's actual nature, his essence, but are his very emanations, his energies. Everybody say essence and energy. The distinction is between essence and energy. God is not the universe, but God's energy sustains the universe. How many get that? The rays of the sun are not the sun, but they are emanated from the sun. Are you with me? Here is the passage now reference of Colossians 1.17 and Hebrews 1.3. It literally says in the Bible, by God's energy, using the word energy, he sustains all that is in the universe, yet the universe is not all that he is. Do you see the distinction now between the two Christian possibilities, which are dualism and panentheism? What is describing the Bible's doctrine better? Remember, these are a placeholder. This is a coat rack. What words should we use when we hear Paul's prayer that says, through the body he fills everything in every way? I think this is the best way to describe it. That, w that God is not somewhere out there. Though he has a throne and he sits there literally, but his presence and his power, his energies and his essence are here, and his essence is only in the church right now, though his energy is in everybody. Are you listening to me? Okay. Just a few more things. Our reality, here's where I like to go deep. Somebody go deep. Take it or leave it. No offense if you don't. This is just my way of trying to help you out as a pastor. And I get a little sci-fi. Our reality, here's how I would describe it. Our reality in matter and space-time, so think about everything that is, matter and space-time, is a virtual world produced by God from his greater and more real spiritual reality, which is us, like us, creating a computer-based reality from our greater physical reality. So now watch. Can I just break this down real quick? So let's say this is virtual reality. We create this. Now watch. We step out of that. We're in the greater reality of matter and space-time from the virtual reality, right? Now watch. God stands behind us in the greater spiritual reality. 
From him emanates this reality, and then in our reality, we create another reality called virtual reality. Does everybody get that? <laughs> That's where you came from. You came from this spiritual place. You came from a place not of matter and space-time. That existed before this existed, okay? And the Bible says these two are about ready to meet this reality and his reality. Somebody say, bring it. Now, this is where I want to show you this next picture right here because this is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul said. Look at it now in the passage, Ephesians 1, through 23. In God placed how many things? All things under his feet and appointed him to be head over how many things? Everything for what? The church. Now watch this, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills what? Everything. In how many ways? Every way. Now watch this. This is where it gets deep. God the Father through the Son fills the church in the age to come, and the church fills the universe with his essence. The energies of God have already been here. We would not be here unless God's energy sustained the world. I don't mean that God's energy is the literally literal energy we see in matter, space, time. I'm saying God's spiritual energy produces that physical energy. Are you listening? But now watch. God's essence is different than his energy. His essence is now inside of a church that is in a natural world. And there is a distinction between God's presence, his actual essence, and God's energy. There is a distinction from the sun and the rays of the sun. There is a distinction between the universe and God. Are you listening? But his goal is to bring the mediation of his presence through Jesus Christ from the church to the entire universe. And one way of thinking about this, we will be the spiritual conductors in the age to come. We will be the light bulbs of God's glory. We will be the actual representation of his tangible presence and his essence. Y'all don't seem to be excited about that. You don't seem to like what Paul be talking about. I don't know how else to say that to make that interesting. That's pretty interesting to me. Maybe I'll just repeat it one more time, and maybe you'll at least say it amen, because this took a long time for me to do this little chart. It looks simple, I know, but there's a lot going on right here. What I should do is put the mic in one of your hands and say, explain to me what it means his body fills everything in every way. And after some of you stumble and befumble over it, then we'll know why Joe has a job, amen? Because this is what I think about while y'all engineering, building bridges and buildings and checking food and foundations, whatever you do on your job and product, this is what I have to explain. I want to say it one more time. The difference between what is happening now and what is going to happen then is that right now the church is in, is in part of this universe, and you could just see a little purple ball like how I call the church in the next slide. You would just see it here. And it's at war with the universe. It's at war. The Bible actually says the earth is groaning for us to be revealed as sons and daughters of God. I'll get to that scripture if I can in a moment. And what the Bible is saying is that he's going to use us to have dominion over the entire universe. He will fill. I'm going to say that again. Look at the scripture. Not my words. His body, the church, is the fullness 
of Jesus, and he will fill everything in every way. Because of what he will do through you, the trees will feel the presence of God. The water will feel the presence of God. I believe this is what they had in the Garden of Eden. They had the power of God flowing through them, and they didn't even recognize they were naked because the glory of God was emanating all around them. They had the energy and the essence of God. We have lost that, and now you think you're just a mere creature. You don't understand. You're created to have dominion over this earth. You are created to have power and authority. Let me give you a few thoughts about this, and then we'll get to the application. The glorified sons and daughters of God are the source in which God will use to make right everything in the universe. Just take, for example, Jesus calming the storms while he's on the earth. Calming storms like it's nothing. He sets right weather patterns because he's there. That's what we're all going to be. As a matter of fact, there's a movie out right now similar to this called Geo-something. Does anybody know the movie? It's one of these geostorms. Thank you. And the idea is we sent up all these little satellites into the atmosphere to control the, uh, the, the weather. And then they go bad and everything goes crazy because, like, that was a good idea, you know. But that's what we will be. We will be the controllers through Jesus, not without Jesus, but through Jesus, the controllers of weather, of temperature, of climate. The peace of the animals will come through us to them. We will tame them. We'll tell them, lion, you lay down here. We are the ones that will be in charge. Does everybody get that? Okay, just like Jesus was in charge. Number two, though the essence of God is separate from his energies in the universe, it is his essence that goes through the church to make his presence known in the universe. So right now we are the, what is it, what does the Bible say? We are the light of the world. Everything in particle physics is based on light. Did you know that? We will be the new source of literal light to the universe through Jesus. That's why he had to have a resurrected body, because he had to unify with the physical world to flow through that to us as the church to have the powers come and go. If you don't believe anything I said, just believe this scripture right here, okay? <laughs> just believe this. Just believe this. How about this? How many love the Bible? I'm just going to read the Bible. Romans 8, 19. For the creation. For the what? For the creation. Thank you. Waits. It's waiting. In eager expectation for tree huggers to come and whale lovers to come and give them a big hug. Is that what it says? For vegans to run naked through the garden. No, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Mountains are waiting for us to tell them to move and get into place. This world will be our sim city. They're waiting. Creation is waiting. Why? Because it's controlled by the energy of God. It's waiting for us to have the voice of God as the light of God to set it in order. You say, why doesn't God do it on his own? Because he never wanted to. He created a universe to be ruled by men. And when men lost it, he had to become a man to give it back to man. And now through Jesus and the church, it all gets right again. That's Paul's prayer. That's his prayer. I'm praying that today, amen? And I know sometimes when new things come, it's like, what is he talking about? But as you go through life, you might just kind of move your hands around and go, whoa, I'm in the energies of God, and I'm not a spiritual weirdy. I'm in the creation of God. I'm the emanation of God. My conscience is the image of God. 
Then when you see the storms come, maybe you'll have faith to pray that God will stop the storm because God's will can still be done in this situation. It's not always our way. Sometimes there's going to be death and destruction until he comes because that's part of the curse. But you can begin to have faith to see storms calmed, and you can begin to see sick bodies healed because it's just the essence controlling the energy. It's the presence of God moving over his creation. Watch, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Your body's a part of the creation. You feel frustrated sometimes about, what, 5.30 in the morning getting up? Oh, this is frustrating. I'm telling you, I'm 40 years old and I already feel. You ever get frustrated looking at gray hair? How about hair falling out? For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. So he subjected it for this reason to the curse in hope that the creation itself will be liberated. How will all creation, everything you know, be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the what? The children of God. The glory of the what? Children of God. You mean when the children of God get free, hurricanes get free, and the atmosphere gets free from hurricanes, rather? Yeah. You mean when the glory of God comes through the children of God, mountains get put in place, oceans are told where to stop? Absolutely. And the church will reign on thrones and will serve as God's source of power and wisdom through Jesus Christ. I just want to say this one more time. X-Men got their idea from someplace. They got the idea in the Greek gods of God's controlling weather from someplace. Ideas of sacrifice came from someplace. Ruling and reigning with Egyptian kings as gods came from someplace. Could it have been that these men took the teachings of Adam and Eve and of Noah, passed down of what we were created for, and then corrupted it and worshiped the creation instead of the creator. Could it be that what we actually call make-believe and fiction is really just a shadow of the glory that is to be revealed? C.S. Lewis said it like this, those that are children of God now, when they are revealed, would have been worshipped by the superstitious people now. And those who are afraid of evil and of spirits and of these kinds of things, when they see what they become without God and the hideous creatures they come would be more frightful than anything man has ever imagined. Once again on judgment day, the sinful will look more disgusting and, and more demonic than anything you can ever imagine on this earth. And the sons of God will be more glorious than any superhero you've ever imagined because we are glorified in the presence of God. Somebody say, make it plain. So we will now come back down from our deep theology, and I'll give you guys a few practical applications. Somebody say, make it plain. Okay, so God is with you always now, isn't he? So let him fill everything in your life in every way. God is here. God is in this place. Now let his presence come into your heart. His power's here. The particles would not be sustained unless God's power was here. That's an evidence that he's here. You would not have a conscious mind unless God gave it to you and sustained it. Now with that, be encouraged. You're never alone. You're never going through a situation that he can't handle. Let him now fill you with his essence. The energy is here, but now let the essence is here. His power is here, but now let the person come in. Amen? Remember, nothing can separate you from his love. 
When we fell into sin, he didn't say game over and just reset. He literally, think about this, as you reset a video game, he could have reset humanity and annihilated all of us, and we would never have existed. Or he could have punished all of us because of what Adam and Eve did, because if he would have said, game over, choose a new character. You know, my kids are learning now to play Street Fighter, which is an awesome game in the 90s, by the way. And my son, he's like, oh, Chun-Li gets beat. Okay, let me try Ryu. Ryu gets beat. Let me try Ken. Jesus could have done that. Okay, Adam messed up. Let's try Ish. Oop, Ish did it again. Okay, uh, you know, uh, Eve messed up. Let's try Nancy. He could have get reset, reset, and we would all would have messed up, and we would have went right to hell. He could have annihilated us. He could have sent us all to hell. But what does he do out of his love? He becomes one of us. He restores humanity and all creation in himself. And then he says, I'm going to have a body. I'm going to have a people. And they're going to freely choose me. And I will rule and reign through them. And I will fill the entire universe through them. I will set creation free from its bondage through them. Another encouragement is why we should go to our life groups, do discipleship, all of the wonderful things in this church, is that when two or three of you are gathered together as disciples, Jesus is there in his personhood. See, you know what I'm talking about. You can be on your job, and there's lots of people, and of course, you can see the energy of God. God sustains the world. It's still held together. Gravity still works, all of that. But how many of you have ever pulled aside with a coworker, did a Bible study, and all of a sudden, God's presence comes? Or you get out of job and you call up a believer and say, pray for me. I'm going through something. God's presence comes. How many know the difference between just living in God's energy, his world, and knowing his presence, the person of God? That's because he said when two or three are gathered together, there I am. Now, of course, he meets with us individually, but there's something special about the church. The next thing that we see is that this is what Paul is praying. That literally Paul is saying, because of these things... I want the eyes of your heart to be open to see the hope. So when we see hurricanes, what's our hope? One day we'll literally look at them and say, stop, be right. Atmosphere, be like this. You say, well, what does that do for me now? Well, that gives you hope when you see a hurricane destroy everything. What else are you going to do? Well, I'll just live with it and deal with it. Well, why does it do it now? See, you have a bunch of unanswered questions when you think that way, don't you? Well, it just is the way it is. That's not an answer to anything. The reason why there's hurricanes is because man sinned. We sinned in the Garden of Eden. I'm not saying today's hurricane is a result of somebody's sin in that city or whatever. I'm just saying the tectonic plates move in our earth because of the curse of sin. It was subjected to, the, to it. The atmosphere has hurricanes, tsunamis, etc., because of the subjection that God punished it with because of sin. Does everybody get that? So I have a hope that one day it gets right. Another thing is I have a hope of an inheritance. How many have a hope for an inheritance? As we get into the rest of the message of Paul, we can remember that God did this to give us an inheritance. And the inheritance isn't just to stay in heaven, which is a spiritual place. The inheritance is to come to the earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And he's given us great power. So I double-dog dare you to speak to a storm now in Jesus' name and see what happens. I dare you to speak to cancer and to sickness. You say, Pastor, what if nothing happens? Okay, but what if something does? What if one out of the hundred of prayers you prayed actually came to pass? Would it be worth praying a hundred? I don't understand why God does all that he does, but I know that prayer works. And he told us to pray as often as we can for the things we know are the things he cares about. 
Yes, we all have to die. There'll be a day I die. But pray for me if I get sick. Don't just say, well, I guess he's going to die now. No, let's pray because maybe it's not my time. And God wants to do a miracle. Amen. And then lastly, let's believe today that with Jesus, we can do great things to establish his kingdom. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today who fills everything in every way? Come on, band. Amen. Let's get the band up here, please. I want to encourage you with these closing words. I know it was a little deep, band and altar workers. But let's just close our eyes and raise up our hands and say, God, fill every part of me in every way right now. Come on, before we roll out of here, let's just do it. Enough talking about it, right? Come on, let's do it. Fill me, Jesus, in every way. I believe you're here. Let the person of the Holy Spirit fill me in every way. Use me as a conduit. There's a good word I was looking for earlier. A conduit for your glory in me and through me, God. With your hands raised, listen to this encouraging word that the Lord gave me. Let God fill every part of you in every way so that in the age to come, you may be used by Jesus to fill everything in every way. Do you get it? Let God now fill everything in your heart so that in the world to come, you'll be a part of the hearts he uses to fill up everything. So let it start now in your heart. God, may your kingdom come to my life. May your will be done in my life. And then upon this earth. And then upon my job. And then in my marriage. And once and for all in the age to come. A few more moments. What do you want God to fill in your life today? In every way. Oh, man, I just wish today we as a people would ask God to fill our community in every way. We could see revival. We could see a taste of heaven on this earth. I'm not believing that all the worst things are yet ahead and nothing good is yet ahead. I still believe there's better things ahead, friends. The Bible says in the midst of darkness, light still shines. In the midst of sin, there's still great grace. Yes, the devil's mad. Yes, his time is short. But that was the same thing that happened in the early church, and yet they saw great revival. So as the powers of darkness rise, let the kings and queens of God, the sons and daughters of the Lord, rise with glory. Let us meet the challenge of our age with the power of the Holy Spirit. A few more moments. Ask the Lord to baptize you right now with the gift of speaking in other tongues if you haven't been. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and onward. You shall be filled with the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. He is a deposit of the kingdom to come. Those who are filled in the Holy Ghost, just begin to speak in other languages as the Lord gives you utterance. The Bible says he gives us spiritual power. This is the Wi-Fi of heaven. I like to say it like that. I'm not weird. I'm just on the Wi-Fi of heaven signal right now. Come on. Oh, Jesus, fill us. Mas, mas, Espiritu Santo. In esta casa. Ahora. Right now. Right now. Fuego. Fuego. Fire. Things can change. Mindsets can change. 
Did you know that your conscious mind can change your physical brain? Speak the word over your life right now. Speak the word over your life and change your brain. Those of you like who are dealing with fear or anxiety or depression, speak the word right now over your brain. Your brain will obey. They've already proven that true. Right now, right now. Come on, come on, keep praying. Fire, fire. Fire in this place. Others of you, speak the word over your job. Speak the word over your family. Lost people can be saved. It's not over yet. There's still more to be done. Sicknesses can be healed. Right now, before we dismiss, if you're sick in your body and you want our elders and deacons here to pray for you, come up quickly and somebody grab the oil from the back. The oil reminds us of the Holy Spirit and we'll pray for every person dealing with sickness right now because we believe that the creation of your body, even though it was subjected to the fall because of sin of Adam and Eve, we can pray for healing today. The power of God can rearrange your body. Quickly come. Come even right now. Band, would you sing a song as we pray for the sick and then we'll dismiss. Give them to all the elders and deacons. Sick people, do not be embarrassed or shy. Come quickly. I don't care if it's cancer or a cold. Come up and let us pray for you. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But I want to see who wants to take God at his word to be healed of sickness and disease. There's so many more of you. Don't be shy. Come up quickly. We're going to believe God for healing in Jesus' name. Be healed. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed. Come on, stretch out your hands towards these right now, saints. Let's pray for healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. 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 Before we dismiss, if you have a bad habit or addiction in your life that you want broken, come up right now and we'll pray for you. We're going to pray that your mind's going to get right. Addiction to cigarettes, addiction to drugs, addiction to food addiction to anything right now come up we will pray for you right now addictions will be set free there was a day i smoked and then there was a moment i never smoked again i have been living in that freedom now for over 20 years be free every habit be free line it up with the word of god right now line it up with the word of god sing it one more time band will dismiss in a moment please stretch your hands towards these people come on call it out in jesus name freedom healing speak the word saints speak it jesus freedom freedom healing Deliverance in the name of Jesus.